you know, my bike, yeah, I don't know how to fix everything on it, but I got a flat tire yesterday and I was done with it in 20 minutes. So, I mean, it's, it's way more my ride than a car ever was. Hey, what's up? This is Kat. Welcome to the Joyride. Hey there, Joyriders. This is Kat Caparello, and you are listening to episode 12 of the Joyride podcast, celebrating women on bikes. In today's episode, I chat with Gretchen Howell, a lifelong travel junkie currently on a solo bike tour of the U.S. and Canada. She's visiting riding workshops along the way. Sounds pretty awesome. Her first bike tour was from Seattle to San Diego, and her longest tour lasted two and a half years and took her through 11 countries in Asia, mostly solo, mostly unsupported, kind of badass. On this episode, we'll talk about the touring obsession, free camping, and random acts of kindness. You'll find all the links in the show notes. Everything we discuss is going to be at girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride zero one two. So let's get into it with Gretchen Howell. Gretchen Howell, welcome to the Joyride. Thank you very much. Where in the world are you? Right now, I'm in, I think it's called Hill City in South Dakota. And it is a beautiful sunny day after a few days of riding just in terrible weather, or not really riding, hiding out in hotels and waiting for the weather to get better. But now it's beautiful. So you're touring. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do a bunch of that. I, I'm pretty much obsessed. It's, it's become like a lifelong addiction of, uh, of touring. Um, I started this tour just after my birthday. Uh, I started in California on February 10th. And I rode from, I started in Monterey, I rode down to Los Angeles, and then across to Joshua Tree and Grand Canyon, and then to Colorado. Uh, and I went to a writer's conference in Colorado. That was the first, uh, that was the first goal. And now I'm riding out to, um, I'm going to go to Iowa to the Iowa Writers Workshop and try and do some summer camp there. So I'm kind of going to writing conferences along the way and seeing friends along the way. So you're in, at an RV park now, literally people like setting up camp right behind you. It's kind of <laughs> um, okay, so you've been out since February. Is this your first tour? No, I've been touring. Uh, I started about 12 years ago, actually. Uh, I rode from Seattle to San Diego. And, um, and that was, you know, two months. Like, I worked all summer. I worked every single day the whole summer to save up for that trip. And then uh, when I was done, I took off from Seattle, rode down to San Diego. And then... When I took the Amtrak back up to Seattle, I was ready to just totally change my life. It was a really like life-changing sort of trip. And uh, after that, I moved to Taiwan <laughs> to teach English. So you're from the Seattle area then? Uh, I grew up in California, okay. but I moved around the States a little bit. And then when I got to Seattle, 
That was uh, another thing that was going on was that Bush got elected the second time and Seattle was sort of in the midst of a citywide massive depression. Right. So it just seemed like a really good time to leave. This is so funny. <laughs> um, I know it's like one of these, it's one of these things where you're like, what, well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, so you're from California and you, where did you learn to ride a bike? Like, tell me a little bit about your first bike experience. Um, I, I don't think I learned until maybe sixth grade um, was when I got my first bike. And I, I remember my friend trying to teach me how to ride it. And I couldn't, like if anyone was watching, but once they left me alone and I tried by myself, then I figured it out. But before that, I had a pony. I kind of grew up in a country town. And um, uh, yeah, I was way more interested in it, it just wasn't a bike riding town. It was, we lived up on the top of a big hill and, uh, I didn't really get serious about my bike until when I was living in Seattle and I decided to stop driving because just, I always hated driving. And, uh, I, I hadn't gotten my driver's license until I was 23 when I was going to grad school and I needed a car and so I learned when I was 23 and then I drove that little Camry for 10 years. And then when I lived in Seattle, it just was breaking down too much. Um, it was really expensive. And like I said, I just always hated driving. I always felt like I'm in a, a metal box that's going, you know, 50 miles an hour and everyone else around me is totally distracted and I could die or kill somebody at any second. So, uh, so at first I just started riding the bus a lot and then that meant my commute was like a hundred times longer. So then I started riding my bike a lot more and then it just, it just kind of clicked into place. You know, it was once I got over the fear of being in the street, that was really the biggest hurdle was getting over the fear of driving and messing up, always messing up, you know, <laughs> getting in the middle of some intersection and then just falling or something like that. <laughs> Which is the exact reason why I do not have the clipless pedals. Oh, exactly. Um, exactly. Because like, that's just such a fear of mine. To, I'm like, Ooh, just kind of Twink. like yeah. a tree sort of. Mm -hmm. So what was it like? Uh, so this is Seattle 2004. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like to figure out how to commute at that point? Well, mostly it was at first I was trying to ride on the sidewalk and, and then pedestrians would, oh, sorry. I'm going to stop for a sec. <laughs> Life is so funny. Uh-huh. Oh, no, I tried to, I tried to pick a quiet spot. Just everyone decided to be right here right now. <laughs> um, they did have some services around Seattle where you could get like a guide who would help you learn to ride around mm. and help you learn how to. And I, I never really hooked up with one. I, um, it was all guys, you know, and it, it would have been nice to have a, a female guide, I think. Um, and, and so I, I would just make deals with myself. Well, I'll go to this one job. I'll ride my bike to this job and then I'll put my bike on the front of the bus and, uh, and get a ride back. Or I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll ride my bike today and then tomorrow I'll, I'll take the bus or something like that. Like I would just make little deals with myself and it got more and more off, more and more common. Another thing I would do is uh, I would go to yard sales on the weekends um, because I lived in a neighborhood that always had yard sales. So I would put my panniers on and then, you know, get like $30 in ones and fives 
and go around and bargain for like you know a lamp or something and then I had to like figure out how to strap the lamp onto my bike and ride home with it so that for me was the best practice for touring was you know strapping something awkward on my bike and getting it home without you know, running into things or falling over. So did you just like go to yard sales specifically to challenge yourself or did you actually, you were like, no, I really, I really just love digging around in other people's trinkets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They had good yard sales up there. I, I since learned that that does, that's not true for every city. Sometimes it's just old jeans and romance novels, but you know, Seattle, most people have more money than they do storage space. So <laughs> It's true. Maybe maybe Portland's the same way. Palo Alto is really good. So sometimes I just go to my cousin's house to get like old REI stuff that people can't keep in their garages anymore. Yeah, that's actually a really a really good tip. And I think <laughs> especially in some of these towns where it's just the outdoor life is so prevalent, you can find some really cool stuff. So what made you do your the Seattle to San Diego ride? Where did that start for you? I mean, I mean, like, what, what was the genesis for that? I think I had found the website crazyguyonabike.com, and so I was reading people's trip journals all the time uh, and just decided that would be a good starter trip. I don't really do things halfway. <laughs> I'm kind of, um, you know, well, let's, you know, run a marathon kind of person. So, um when I read about that, I thought, you know, and there was an awful lot of information about it too. You could get the adventure cycling maps and someone I knew had them so I could get them for free. And then there's that, uh, spring and Kirkendall book. That's really handy. Um, so that, it just seemed like a good trip to start with. Although it was, it was scary. There were some bridges and stuff like you just can never be completely prepared for everything that's going to happen along the way. But I do have a trip journal about it on crazy guy on a bike. It's called gone coastal. And, uh, it, yeah, that was back before even digital cameras. <laughs> I think there's like eight pictures on the whole, on the whole blog because they were, you know, with film. <laughs> we're going to link that up in the show notes. Awesome. So tell me about your favorite day on the bike. Well, yesterday, yesterday could probably count as a favorite day. Um, I, I've been doing some free camping out here. So yesterday I woke up like off a logging road up on top of a little hill. Um, there was a turkey that came and uh, woke me up. He gobbled right outside my, my tent. Um, and then I uh, did a little meditating under the trees and then I road i have this um this little gps system that is sometimes it's possessed by an evil russian spy and sometimes it is feeling very generous and takes me on a beautiful beautiful road so i went on this gorgeous road that was like you know a little bit unpaved and kind of adventurous and then I popped back out on the highway and I went to Mount Rushmore <laughs> and it was, it's a really pretty ride. Like uh, going through Wyoming and Nebraska, super, super flat. But up here I'm starting to get a few more hills and it's, I realize I like riding up hills way more than flat stuff. Um, so I poked around, did a little hiking around Mount Rushmore and then rode down into town and found this, uh, 
this RV park, which happens to be right on this trail called the George Mickelson Trail. That's what I'm going to ride today. And I think maybe it's a rails to trails thing, but it, um, it goes on like north to the south, like half the state. So, um, and I, I didn't even know it was here. So <laughs> that's what I'm going to do today and ride up towards uh, some town called Deadwood, I think. I think it's interesting because I think for folks who are new to cycling or would like to get into it, but they're intimidated, um, flats seem like really accessible and I don't want to deal with hills. I only want to ride on, on flat road. Tell me about why you kind of prefer a little bit of texture as it were. Uh, to, out here to break up the wind because when it's flat on the prairie land then the wind comes from any direction at once and wants to blow you over um, but besides that it's just the um, I guess the goal setting that you can get to the top of the hill and then you have a little reward you know and in the bicycling metaphor of life you you know there's a payoff at the end of the climbing up the hill then you get to roll down the bottom to the bottom and have fun. Um, but it's, it's just more interesting. I think it's, um, I guess weather. And, uh, because I grew up in hilly places, I just more accustomed to that. And I probably it works different muscles. Like, uh, I think my bum gets a little more sore on the uh, flat because I'm not shifting around as much. Oh, that makes sense. So, yeah. I, uh, my very first, bike overnight uh was to south jersey which is sounds very extravagant for people but um uh -huh. <laughs> new jersey and the, the pine barrens it's actually really really flat and i just remember that like oh wow i have every pedal stroke is like labor because mm -hmm. you do not you do not roll there's no coasting there's no reward there's just you stop if you don't make this very next pedal stroke. And uh, uh, just remember feeling like, oh, yeah, that's why flats are, you know, not necessarily the most awesome thing. No. It's really surprising. No, you don't get to use your gears so much. And there is something strange that happens with the, it's almost like an optical illusion where flats look like they're flat, but then maybe you're going slightly uphill too. Have you ever noticed that where it just feels like it's not really flat? Yeah. Um, yeah, I have. And, it, and um, you know, I never have had like a little grade, like a level or anything like that. But um, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting the way that like the road looks different when you're on a bike versus on foot versus in a car. Um, I think you notice absolutely everything when you're on the bike, whereas those other two modes of transportation, it's just like either too fast or too slow to notice any difference. Absolutely. So your GPS system that's sometimes, um, sometimes possessed by a Russian spy, what, what are you like, what are you using for that? Like how, how trusty is it? Because, I mean, you've already indicated that sometimes it takes you crazy places. Like, w tell me more about that. Um, so I bought it 
just because I didn't have a bike computer and I wanted to kind of upgrade my, my technology on the bike. Um, but I don't think that I could ever trust it just by itself. Uh, so I always carry paper maps, but I'm old fashioned like that too. I was a geography major in college. And so I like paper maps. I like looking at them. Um, so using them all together, that's kind of works, but my GPS on itself by itself, I don't know, you know, like there was one time I was going past, I think it was Vandenberg air force base in California. And, and my bike computer kept telling me, Oh no, take a right on this dirt road that, and the sign says, you know, it's mined and absolutely off limits. And that's where I came up with, it's an evil Russian spy because it's obviously trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> it's like, Oh, just go to this air force base. Go yeah. on, Gretchen. No, no, just take a, a, a shortcut right through. <laughs> I, uh... So I can't, I can't completely trust it, but it is nice to, um, uh, you know, it'll tell me, you know, how many miles are left over, how long it should take me to get here, or, um, you know, how many mountains are ahead of me, too. Like, uh, I can't really see that on the paper maps. You can't see what kind of mountains are coming up. So it's a little bit more information. And what kind of, what system is that? It's a Garmin Edge Touring Plus, something like that. Gotcha. Yeah. I find the GPS thing is just so, it's so interesting. I am a super map nerd. I have always been mm -hmm. a map nerd. I got two of them over here. I know you can't really see. Um, and then I've got one, this one old National Geographic map of the Rockies from mm -hmm. 94 that I've been carrying around with me. And I have it up on my, I have it up on my wall. And it's kind of cool because it's like the roads may have changed a little bit. Like this map may not actually be accurate for travel, but these mm -hmm. mountains certainly have not changed in yeah. 20 years. It's kind of cool. Um, so that's, that's how I plan my trips too. I get a big wall map put it up and stare at it for a couple of weeks. And then sometimes I tape yarn onto it. So when I plan my trips, I'm super low tech. Oh, that's cool. What's your process like in the morning then? You said that, oh, I'm going to ride on George Mickelson trail. I didn't even know it existed before. Like help me walk me through that a little bit. Well, I had sort of made plans back a couple days ago when the weather wasn't as nice. I had uh, I'd picked up a couch surfing place in Rapid City, so I was planning on going there yesterday. And then the weather got so nice, and I found this trail, and I got like a brochure for it and figured out like all the towns that it goes to. So I just sort of made an executive decision yesterday. Oh, no, I'm not going to go to my couch surfing thing for a couple more days. And I'm going to go up to Deadwood and keep following this trail. Um, I don't really have a lot of time constraints right now. Mostly it's just weather and money. And so the more I cook my own food and, you know, free camp, the longer I can take this trip. And now it's, it's a little springish. I guess up here in the north, the spring doesn't start until June or July, but... Uh, it's, it's really nice outside today, so I don't need to go to the city. Tell me about free camping. So it took me a really long time to get comfortable with free camping. I, my first trip was all campgrounds and staying with friends. Uh, and then overseas, 
like when I was um, traveling through Indonesia and India, yeah, no way am I going to sleep by myself uh, in a tent on the side of the road. I did every once in a while, but when I had a partner in India. Uh, and hotels are really cheap, too. And I want a door that locks. This trip, and I've trained myself for a long time to not be scared of free camping. Uh, I had, there was a um, national park, like a national forest, sort of, near where I lived. And so I would ride out there and then find a little free camp spot and just force myself to sit in the dark and then and be scared out of my head <laughs> of like, you know, not like getting in trouble or somebody showing up and yelling at me, but actually like monsters, that monsters were going to show up and eat me or, you know, like it's just really hard to be alone in the wilderness. So I did that and practiced it until I wasn't scared anymore. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not scared ever. I just, my biggest worry is like mice breaking into my food bag or something like that. So on this trip, I started doing it like in Arizona and Utah where there's a lot of public land where it's cool. You know, you can just go onto the forest service land and it's totally cool to camp. Um, and then around Colorado, it's way more like private land. So I would have to just keep my eyes open for a public access point. And then, and just know, you know, there might be some fly fishermen walking by first thing in the morning. Um, here, I don't know. I mean, I try and be legal and, and not cross anything that says private property. But like going off on a logging road, I guess that's cool. There was no one there telling me to stop. But and you know now like I've encountered this French guy with for a couple of days and he's like no no I'm not scared of the dark I just you know I know that nothing's gonna happen and uh, I rationally don't know that nothing's gonna happen so you do kind of have to you know be on the guard be on your guard but I also have been in campgrounds where you know it gets kind of crazy and you know people get drunk on the weekends where I felt less less safe on a in a crowded KOA on the weekend than, um, you know, camping by myself on a hill. So, um, you know, mostly I just do the thing where you wait until there's no cars coming and then you run off the road as fast as you can so nobody sees you. <laughs> do, you um, do you have a brightly colored tent or does your tent kind of blend in? It's kind of blendy. Yeah. It does have some, uh, my bike mostly has like reflector spots. So I try and be back where... Uh, no, the reflecting isn't going to show up on the road. You know, I, I really feel the, um, I really feel the being scared of the dark and the scared of, uh, the unknown kind of thing. Um, that's something that is like, even if you are in a campground with other people, um, or whether you're free camping, I think that there is just something that some of us have to get through or move through. Um, interesting that you used, like, I'm going to sit here and just breathe through my discomfort. Um, reminds me of just meditation in general, just being able to, it's like, it's like yoga, just being able to like breathe through the pose. Mm -hmm. Um, my first, I don't even know. I'm always like, I just have an overactive imagination. And if it's not um, something 
if it's not something that's like a scary monster, it's a tree branch. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's just, there's always going to be something. I think we've got, uh, some of us, it's bigger and more prevalent than others, but I think we've got that lizard brain where, you know, your mind is telling you that you should be afraid of something all the time. I think we're also programmed this way socially now that there there's just this constant feed, this never-ending stream of things to be worried about. And it's really um, interesting to sit with that in the dark, in the quiet, and have to do like some real heavy lifting for like calming yourself through some of that. Like that's a real thing. I can't pretend, I can't pretend for me that it's not. So, uh, do you feel more comfortable now or like where, where are you at with that? Um, no, it's kind of amazing how much I am not freaking out about it at night. I mean, sometimes I freak out about animals because um, well, there's mountain lions and I guess the bears are starting to wake up. So that's a little scary, but I do think I'm probably in more danger on the side of the road with some distracted person, you know, playing with their cell phone. Um, and you know, being a woman riding alone, people are always asking, you know, aren't you scared to be alone? So I guess I, um, that kind of, pisses me off when people ask me and so I try and have like um a forceful answer each time and say no I'm not scared or um a lot of times I tell people I have a black belt which kind of makes the conversation stop it's not actually true but uh <laughs> you know you just walk like you've got a black belt under there somewhere <laughs> and and that that works because then people think, oh, well, then she knows she knows how to take care of herself. There's a metaphor um, for confidence here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as far as worrying about like monsters in the night, I'm much, much better about it now. I can actually get some sleep um, and I don't, you know, wake up with every little scratch in the dark. And, um, yeah, they, when I think of a couple years ago trying to camp and like not sleeping one single, single bit, not, you know, the whole night, like laying there, you know, trying to shine my tiny flashlight into the dark and see what was underneath that tree. You know, like it, I don't do that anymore. And so I think probably that's something that you can train yourself out of. It just doesn't happen quickly. And there's an awful lot of like just sitting and being scared for hours and hours. And then, you know, the sun comes up and you realize, Hey, I lived, (laughs) I didn't die. (laughs) Um, it gets better is what I'm Uh hearing. Yes. (laughs) I really, I, um, I have a hard time sleeping at, in, at camp at night. I just do. It's like every single sound, every Mm -hmm. single sound. Um, but you know, hoping that that's something that I can train myself continue to train myself out of mm-hmm. you've done touring overseas in asia too yes um tell me a little bit about that so probably my oh. favorite my favorite country was probably riding through indonesia and i um i had no idea what i was doing i had like just these meaningless maps 
I had the Lonely Planet guide that covered like maybe a quarter of the places I was going to. So most days I didn't even really know where I was going. Um, and oh, Indonesian, Bahasa Indonesian isn't like a terrible language to learn. So at the longer I, it, it doesn't have tones and they use like a Roman letters, they use a regular alphabet. So I could, uh, I could speak after a while. I could talk a little bit. Um, but as far as there being a Western woman on a bicycle, yeah, it was totally weird. And um, I would get lost all the time. It was, it was great. I had a really great time. And you can take your bike on these little ferries to go from island to island. Um, so that was really fun. And people are really nice to you. Like that's the thing that you learn over and over is that people are really nice and always want to help you and are curious and can play with little kids on the side of the street anywhere. You know, I know that the... I know that the safety thing is obviously a big question. Being a Western woman, solo, on a bike, these are things that happen all the time. It's not like you're the the first solo Mm -hmm. female tourer, right? Um, Did you expect to feel less uh, safe? Or, like, did you surprise yourself? Were you surprised by how safe you felt? Um, did it kind of meet your expectations? Um, were there points in time where you did feel threatened in some way? Um, oh, all kinds of weird stuff happened to me. And I think like all my my biggest like man fears kind of manifested um, when I was riding through Indonesia. Uh, some guy ride up, rode up on a motorcycle and grabbed my boob one time and... Uh, I had a couple of things like that, just like weird people knocking on my door in the hotels. Oh, sometimes I accidentally checked into brothels thinking they were regular hotels. So (laughs) stuff was going on all over the place. (laughs) Um, Sometimes people, guys would expose themselves to me. Like they just, you know, who's this blonde lady? You know, like I think they just wanted to see what they could get away with. And, um, so, you know, I just dealt with stuff like as it happened. So, and I did kind of think maybe that would happen. Um, I'm the kind of person that if there's a section in the guidebook that says special considerations for women travelers, I just skip it because I don't want to be scared. I don't want to ride scared. And I figure I'm, I'm going to figure stuff out as I go. Tell me about how, tell me about like what makes it, what has made it worth it to like, move through that fear or to deal with random dude stuff like tell Uh me about like what what made it worth it what did you get on the other side of that well okay the the most traumatic one was the boob grab guy yeah I can see that like like physical that physical boundary Uh uh-huh I I actually I thought he was trying to rob me at first because um I kept my uh my wallet in my breast pocket was like this little Hello Kitty thing. And so when I felt the hand, I I thought he was trying to pull my wallet out. And then, you know, I just got so mad uh, that like all my like anger impulse took over um, before I had time to to get scared. And, um, you know, he was littler than me. If I could have grabbed him off his bike, I probably would have beat him up pretty good. 
but he turned around on his motorcycle and rode away really fast. And then I just stood there and screamed like a little, you know, cartoon, Yosemite Sam with a volcano coming out of my head. And then as I was riding along and thinking how I was going to really mess someone up if they did that to me again, some guy rode by on a motorcycle and he was really excited to see me and, oh, hello, hello. And he has like 50 live chickens tied to the side of his bike. They're all like miserable. <laughs> and I really love chickens. And this guy was so happy to see me. And all these miserable chickens hanging off his bike. And it just was so absurd. Um, that after that, I just thought, well, life could be worse. You could be a chicken hanging off that guy's motorcycle. <laughs> Stuff like that, you know, where like the next day or, you know, or if some guy was harassing me on the motorcycle, sometimes I would just pull over at a little store and hang out with some women and children for a little while until the boys left. Um, and then, you know, you, I would just kind of point and say, you know, a few words and they would figure out what was going on. And then we'd just sit there and have coffee. And um, so it was always like when the worst stuff happens, then the best stuff would happen right mm -hmm. afterwards too. And, you know, when you're on the bicycle, you know, you still just get up the next day and ride away to a different town. You know, like those people who are messing with you, they're never going to have as much fun you know, like, that's why they're messing with you, right? Because they're, you know, they never have anything new come around. And you're like the new thing. And every day I have something new. And I don't know. I, it, it's, there's always, a, it's always a brand new day on the bike. I think that that's, that's a really, that's a great perspective. And I love that you, the camaraderie that you can find and that you're describing as, you know, I, ha I had this weird thing and then, you know, I stopped at a store and hung out with some women and children and we didn't even need to have too much dialogue. It's just being <laughs> in each other's company and really having, I think, those those bonds, those bonds of um, of sisterhood and just like, you know, what's you know, what's up and we'll take care of each other. I think that's great. absolutely. So tell me about random acts of kindness on the road. Well, one time I got lost. I get lost all the time. Um, I, I got lost uh, in Indonesia. I just kind of went to this little town where I thought I was going to go over this hill, but it ended up being like a walking path. So, so there were stairs. And I was trying to like push my bike up this really steep little path. And then I was pulling all the stuff off and like walking it up, you know, ferrying it up in pieces. And then I was so um, mad and frustrated. I was just going to, you know, chuck everything off a mountain and go to an airport and leave. And this, uh, this little family showed up, this guy and a couple of his sons, and they carried my bike and all my bags over the walking path, like a mile. And then they stopped at their house to give me a glass of water and their house was like some sticks and dirt and they were really poor. And, uh, and you know, they let me give them a couple of bucks, but you know, I think they're just, you know, they just were doing a good deed. Um, and then here on this trip, okay, this was when I was first entering Wyoming from Colorado. I was riding in a blizzard basically, because you know, Californians don't know anything about weather. <laughs> 
And uh, this, this cowboy pulled over and put me and all my stuff in the back of his truck. Well, put all my stuff in the back of his truck and then drove me around Cheyenne looking for a cheap hotel where I could stay. Um, and yeah, that was really nice. He had a nice dog. I think he kind of wanted to ask me out to dinner, but I think he was probably too polite for that and <laughs> just left me there. <laughs> um, yeah, stuff like that. I, I, uh, I used to be nervous about hitchhiking, but I'm not anymore. Like, people just are nice. <laughs> and besides, you're a black belt. Yeah, and besides, I'm a black belt. Seriously. <laughs> what is the most unexpected item that we would find in your touring stuff right now? Oh, I brought a yoga mat with me. Um, and th maybe I've done yoga on it twice, but mostly it's just like a, a sitting pad or another, um, another sleep sleeping pad because I'm, I like to be comfortable at night. Um, let's see what else. I feel like there was something fancy that I have too. The just while while you're even thinking of that, the your yoga mm -hmm. mat. Do you have that like wrapped up in something? How do you? What do you do? There? Um, no, it's underneath. I have um like a waterproof like a seal bag. You know that you take like on river rafting trips. That is kind of on top of my two rear panniers, and it kind of goes underneath. And it all gets wrapped up with like a big mesh net. Gotcha. Sort of. Yeah. I, I guess I'm pretty practical right now. Like I don't have a lot of clothes. I don't have any like, here's my going out dress and my pair of heels or anything like that. <laughs> so um, what is your favorite bike snack? What's your favorite thing to eat? Uh, what do you crave like after you've been riding? What's your, where are you at with that? Um, I'm really into coffee. Um, I totally, oh, tortillas and avocado and cheese is like a really common snack for me to, um, I'll eat that for lunch, like three out of four days, probably. Sometimes I will have like a, a, a can of Chef Boyardee <laughs> and just eat it cold. I know that's really disgusting, but, uh, I grew up with a super healthy mom who um, we were never allowed to eat things like that. So that's like my little bad thing. <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> it's funny the, the kind of like games that, that we uh -huh. play in those ways. If you could ride anywhere with anyone, where would you ride with who? So I was kind of thinking about this. Um, you knew I was going to ask. Yeah. Um, and I, I think uh, I would choose um, one of the the old adventure ladies, uh, Dervla Murphy or Anne Musto. Yes. That's and awesome. uh, like, um, I remember, I think it was Dervla Murphy who had these crazy rides like around Afghanistan and Pakistan, like in the 60s and 70s. And that just sounded far out to me. Like, I would, I'd like to take one of those trips with her. <laughs> That's fun. Um, I'm going to link up her book in the show notes for, for anyone who wants to check it out. Yeah. And Anne Musto too. Um, some of her books are a little bit, um, too much about the uh, architecture, but 
just the idea that she didn't start until she was 50 and she didn't know how to change flat tires and stuff like that. That to me is super inspiring that anybody can get on a bike and ride and go anywhere they want to. Where are you at with your level of mechanical comfort? Um, I can change a flat and I can tighten my brakes and, you know, given enough time, I guess I could do, I can take my bike apart and put it in a box pretty good. Um, but as far as like truing wheels or I don't know, whatever, any of that stuff, um, I, I took a class one time in Seattle. I'm not going to say which shop, uh, but the, uh, the guy who owned the shop hit on me one night after, after the bike repair class. I thought, screw this. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I, I heard one of your guests who was talking about, you know, how, how much um, bicycle shop guys blow it sometimes by not, you know, serving their female public as well as they could. Um, and uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. I've had, I've had the, the ones, the bike shop guys who are cool, uh, they really stand out over <laughs> because they're kind of rare. <laughs> so who stands out to you? Do you want to give anyone shout outs? Sure. I, I have this guy in Gilroy, California called Shifty. Gilroy. Uh, oh my God. Gilroy, the garlic capital of the world. Yeah. The place is fantastic. Yeah, so Shifty used to be a mobile mechanic, and he had this big bread truck that he would drive around and show up at your house and do stuff, and he was he was just so cool about it. Like, he always had a bunch of parts that he could, you know, give you something used. Um, and then on the way, the best place, okay, this wasn't even a bike shop, but there is this place in Moab called Gearhead, or Gearhead, or something like that. It's maybe the best outdoor shop I've ever been to in the world. I'm going to try to find, I'm going to try to find information for Shifty. Shifty is definitely on Instagram. Sweet. We're going to link it up. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Um, I took this crazy cross country RV trip when I moved here mm -hmm. uh, to Portland and we stopped in Gilroy on, uh, on our way up to the Bay area and uh, didn't really know like what was up. And then it was like, it smells like garlic out here. It <laughs> always smells like garlic. It's even after living there for a couple of years, I, um, I never got tired of the smell. I loved it. It always went, made me hungry. I went to this place and, uh, I remember eating like garlic tortilla chips for breakfast that morning that we left Gilroy and we're heading up and we're heading up to the Bay area. And I was like, we just talked about this the other day. I was like, do you remember those amazing tortilla chips that we ate for breakfast? <laughs> um, that's so much fun. All right. So shifty and, and, uh, gearhead in Moab. That's pretty mm -hmm. sweet. So, um, I think, I th I'm probably going to have just like a couple more questions for you. Um, okay. how, how much longer are you planning on being out on this trip? I know you said you don't have many time constraints, but do you have kind of like a loose idea or. So I kind of want this trip to go on for a year. Um, cool. And I'm not sure that I can really afford that, but I'm going to do my best. Um, and I'd like to, finally get a book out of it because I've done a lot of touring and I haven't written the book. My mom keeps telling me, no, you have to write one of them before you can do another trip. And uh, I don't know. I mean, the writing like with a W is way harder than the writing with an R. Yeah. 
Do you have a, do you have a process? Like, do you get to write or? I brought my laptop with me. Um, but like, am I on a schedule? No. Uh, yeah. So that's one thing I need to teach myself on this trip. And that's the purpose of going to the writing workshops too, is to get inspired by other writers and, uh, you know, hopefully teach myself some kind of process for writing the book. But there, you know, there's a lot of places I would like to go. There's, you know how it is when all your friends are getting married and they live all over the place and you realize you're never going to see them again unless you show up at their doorstep. And even then, you know, because, you know, kids. <laughs> Life is crazy. Yeah. You never know. I mean, you, you, never, just never, you just never know anyway. So, yeah. so where else do you want to, where, where else, if you could, do you want to hit on this trip? Um, well, uh, the goal for going eastward is to go to New Brunswick to see my friends Shirley and Fish. Um, and, and then to ride down the East Coast. And I have this fantasy. I don't know if this is going to happen. But I would really like to be in Cuba in time for the election. I don't oh, know wow. why. <laughs> but wouldn't that be great? Like <laughs> to get- our elect, like the presidential election in November? Absolutely. Be interesting. Um, to find a, a boat somewhere to take me to Cuba. Hopefully not a plane because I hate taking my bike apart. And it's really expensive. <laughs> um, that sounds but, like a great or, You know, story. maybe some other Caribbean island. I'm not that choosy. But Cuba this would be the coolest, I think. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fun. Um, so what did, uh, what did I not ask you about that you want to tell me about? Well, I wanted to tell you a little bit about, like, growing up. I really did grow up, um, like, huge travel. My my family was, we were never, like, rich or anything, but we did travel a lot. We would go to Mexico a lot. And then when I was really small, we lived in Micronesia. Because my dad was working for, it, it wasn't the military. It was kind of like they had a uh, an American protectorate government. And so my dad was a lawyer for them. So from when I was like four, maybe, to when I was six, we lived in the islands. So I think that's where the travel junkie thing comes in, that I just grew up always. We were always going somewhere for vacation. And also, I wanted to tell you about my bike. Yes, I wanted to ask you about your bike. Thank you for, thank you for reminding me. What do you got? <laughs> what are you on? Um, so I bought it in Taiwan. It's called a spin fit, which totally fits because uh, I'm spinster or spinstera. Uh, and it, it never got exported. Uh, when I was living in Taiwan, cycling was getting really, really popular. And uh, so giant bicycles are made. There's a factory in, in Taiwan. Uh, and they were, they were building bike paths all over Taipei. And so my second year I was there, I went and bought this little touring bike. And they had one model that they had specifically for touring that I didn't really like. And then they had this funny little, you know, all white bike that had a really low, low frame. Um, and so that's my bike. Um, her name is Maymay. Oh, <laughs> it means little sister. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Um, spell that for me. Uh, M-E-I-M-E-I. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. And I'd love to see a picture of your bike. Um, if you send me a picture, I'm sure I'm sure I could find one on your your blog, uh, which I'm uh-huh. also going to link up. But if you uh, have a specific picture you you 
want to send me of your bike all loaded up, that'd be pretty sweet. Okay. Yeah, I, I also have covered her with stickers because, um, well, it's an all-white bike and that just was not going to stay clean. So there's stickers from all over the world, kind of like one of those little traveling suitcase kind of things. I love that. I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, I want to do that with my panniers, I think. Yeah. Uh, so advice for, for new riders? Advice for women who are interested in riding a bike but are intimidated or want to go on a tour but are intimidated about taking the first step? Um, so one way that I have of um, getting a coach is to use one of those, um, like the Lonely Planet Thorn Tree or, or now, um, I guess, using Facebook groups to find somebody who's kind of going at the same time as you. Um, when I first started my trip in Singapore and then to Malaysia, my big international trip, I cycled with this old, older Australian guy for um, a couple of weeks. And um, it was like a platonic friendship sort of thing. But he was super experienced and didn't make fun of me for not knowing what I was doing. Um, and, and that was actually my first time free camping, too, was him kind of showing me the ropes a little bit. Um, but as far as like the first, first one, I would say try and just go to a park near your house. Like, um, like pick a state park that's like five miles away and go to it and spend the night and even get someone to drive there and bring the stuff and, you know, hang out with you and bring the firewood and stuff like that. Like, don't, don't make it hard, you know, make it as easy as you can. Mm at first like I feel like a lot of ladies get started or their first trip is with a boyfriend who takes them on the baton death march their first time and like hey, we're gonna ride 70 miles up this mountain um that's the way to make it miserable and so I think when you're first starting make it as easy as possible and fun as possible you know don't try and kill yourself the first time um that's great advice uh <laughs> I think, don't, we, don't. I, well, I think that that's important. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, um, you know, yeah, like, cause that's this, this is about having fun. Like, like, yeah, biking is good for the economy. Biking is good for your body. Biking is good for your mind. But like the reason why you would do it is because it's friggin' fun because it's mm -hmm. joyful because there's, you know, it makes you happy. Like that's the point not to, yeah. I mean, yeah, people suffer. And there's a, that's like a thing for sure. And people like to do that and go into the cave and all of that kind of stuff. But, yeah. but like fun is, is at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. Should be. And you probably won't like bike traveling if you don't like riding a bike. I mean, that's, you know, every day I get to ride my bike. And if I didn't like riding my bike, then that wouldn't be such a joyful thing. Right. Totally. Uh, but I mean, even, even when I was working, like three different jobs all summer to, um, you know, get ready for my first bike trip. I was still bike commuting all the time and every day I got to ride my bike, you know? So it, even when you're commuting and stuff and you, I mean, okay, I know it looks terrible when you watch the videos on YouTube of people riding through traffic, but riding through traffic on a bike is super exhilarating and just makes you feel like a complete badass when you get someplace. And um, everyone should try it every once in a while. <laughs> um, 
and but yeah you're not going to like bike touring if you don't like riding a bike so number one thing enjoy your bike it's true and that is like mm-hmm. that's obviously the most important thing and mm-hmm. um having a bike that fits and knowing about it so that it's not mm-hmm. just um a machine that you're almost scared of um but making it like because i think it is an extension of your mm-hmm. personality it's an extension of your body it's how you're moving through the world so and you're an active participant um well i mean compared to how i felt about driving i never loved my car the way i do my bike i was always terrified that that thing was going to break or kill me or cost me six million dollars to fix right. or um and you know my bike yeah i don't know how to fix everything on it but i got a flat tire yesterday and i was done with it in 20 minutes so, I mean, it's it's way more my ride than a car ever was. <laughs> That's awesome. Gretchen, I've had so much fun chatting with you. I could really, like, I could chat with you for probably for a while. and We could talk yeah. about all this stuff. It seems like you got places to go, things to do, George Mickelson trails to ride on. Yeah, trails to ride. That's cool. Um, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really excited to hang out with you. It looks like you are going to have a nice day with some nice weather. So I hope you get to enjoy it. Thank you so much. And I hope you get to go outside today. <laughs> Me too. In fact, I guarantee you it's going to happen. <laughs> right on. Thanks, Gretchen. Gretchen is so much fun. Next week on The Joyride, I'm going to chat with bike racer and coach Elizabeth Reincourt. Let me just say, she's awesome. You don't want to miss it, so subscribe up. As always, I'd be honored if you left a review or a rating in iTunes. Most importantly, share the show, please, with even just one woman who you think might enjoy it. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or know someone else who you think would be a good fit to be a guest and doesn't mind talking about snacks and other randomness, go on over to bit.ly forward slash joyride guest. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash joyride guest and send me a note. As always, I appreciate your time and your attention, folks. Remember, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Take care of yourselves and each other. Keep moving forward. And until next time, I hope you enjoy the ride. Sorry, golf cart. <laughs>